Hey, thank you for tuning in to the Fountain Podcast. We pray that this message blesses you and helps you to see Jesus clearly, love him deeply, and follow him wholeheartedly. Let's dive in. We're in a series entitled Outflow, and the premise of this has been Proverbs 4.23, above all else, everybody say above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. (laughs) Uh, I want to speak to you around this idea of strengthen from the inside, strengthen from the inside. Would you pray with me? Father, in Jesus' name, speak to us in a way that only you can. Do what only you can do. And God, we thank you for the trials and the battles and the blessings. And so many times there's blessing in the battle. And so, Lord, help us to see through your eyes in every way. In Jesus' name, give us ears to hear and eyes to see today. Amen. Amen. Well, I want to point your attention real quick to, to the priority here. Above all else, like above everything, guard your heart. Huge priority. The heart is important. If the heart goes, everything else goes. And, and the writer of, of Proverbs here is speaking about the inner person, the inner man, the inner woman, like who you really are. Now, when we talk about being strengthened from the inside, let's talk about being strengthened from the outside real quick. So back, back in the day, in, in the 80s, early 90s, whenever somebody was working out, we would say, man, or let's say, and they, and they had some good results, right? We would say that person is swole or they're yoked. You guys remember that terminology? I was born in 79, so it dates me a little bit. But, but I grew up in that culture. My brother was a bodybuilder my whole life, did like some competition. My nephew's in fitness. And uh, you're probably wondering like, well, what happened to you? And uh, <laughs> this sermon's not about me. It's about Jesus. So we're going to stay on topic and we're going to keep it moving. But, uh, but growing up in, the, in, this, in this culture, I mean, for I think the, the people in like the 70s, maybe even the 80s, like Arnold was a pretty, Arnold Schwarzenegger was a pretty big figure. But, but, but our guy growing up was this guy, Ronnie Coleman. Ronnie Coleman was like the dude. Now, I was going to show you what he looks like, but I thought having him in a Speedo on a Sunday might not be appropriate for service. So you guys can Google him. But this guy was huge. And he accomplished what probably nobody will ever accomplish. He did like seven Mr. Olympias. He won just, I mean, incredible. You look at his body and you're like, what in the world? I mean, you look like a a mutation. You're just, every muscle is bulging. I mean, just huge. But, But it was interesting. These guys are super disciplined in a lot of different ways. But one of the things that I appreciate about Ronnie is he always made sure to check his heart. Because his heart is bearing a lot of weight. I mean, they're eating a ton of food, ton of food to pack on that type of muscle. Plus, you know, steroids kind of came in the picture. Diuretics came in when you're doing competitions, take all the water out of you. And so guys were having heart attacks and people were dying. And, you know, in his mind, he's like, listen, the sport's not worth dying for. And I want to make sure that my heart is not carrying a weight that it's not able to carry. And if it is, like, I think it was uh, maybe his last Mr. Olympia competition, he just didn't feel good in his body, so he just backed out. I mean, he put in all that work, but he's like, it's just not worth dying for the sport. So he was connected with his doctor like crazy to make sure that his heart was solid, that his heart can handle the weight and the pressure. Now, there's a lot of accountability in his life. 
And there's been several attempts. I mean, when you're looking at bodybuilders and you are a bodybuilder, I'm not a bodybuilder, but when you're looking at bodybuilders, there's this aspiration of how do I get there? And so there's been so many attempts, but people don't understand there's proper form, proper diet. You could hurt yourself really easy. One of the things I love about my brother is my brother has never gotten hurt my whole life because his form has always been on point. Always, anytime I'd work out with my brother, I didn't work out with him a lot because it'd be like this. We'd have to take a ton of weight off of his and it was just made too much work. So I'd be like, I'm gonna be on that side of the gym. You do your thing and just show me what to do and we'll, we'll, we'll go that route. But, but form is so important because if you, if you don't have form or you're lifting weight that you shouldn't be lifting, you get really, really hurt. Hence the fact of you have moments like this. You snap your arm, blow out your knees. This girl, it's just not looking good. Her form, you know, she's bending her back. Doesn't look like it's going in a good direction. And this guy struggling. So it's, it's tough because if, if you're not able to bear that weight, two things are going to happen. You're going to get hurt or you're going to hurt somebody else. You see those, those videos where they're, you know, guys just thinks he's the man and he's like, Ooh! and then the weight kind of tips over and somebody could be right there. Weights start falling off and they get all messed up. But, but I think what's even more heartbreaking than this, I'm going to change it in a minute so you don't have to look at people blowing out their shoulders and arms and legs, but just bear with me for a moment. I want you to feel this. I want you to look at it because it's heartbreaking that there are so many people trying to get yoked spiritually and they don't know how. And so they find themselves lifting a weight that their heart was never meant to bear. And in the process, they hurt themselves and they hurt other people. So I, I would propose this, that getting yoked spiritually is not about God placing a weight on you, but understanding the weight he has lifted from you. And so the Apostle Paul, he gives us a, a little bit of a secret. Now, one of the things you always want when you're working out, you want hacks. You know, uh, you, you see commercials that say, you don't even need to work out and you get abs one minute a day. Not true. But Paul was writing to the church of Colossae, to the Colossian church, and there was a lot of false teachers that were coming in, a lot of false doctrines that were creeping into the church. And one of them was first century Judaism that kind of went to an extreme with the pharmaceutical leaders, the religious leaders of Paul's day, of Jesus's day, and false teaching is still creeping into the church in our day. But, but these religious leaders would come in, or this first century Judaism would kind of creep in and say, okay, it's cool. It's cool about if you want to do the whole Jesus thing. You can keep Jesus, but you need to add some more weight. You can keep Jesus, but you need to add the weight of circumcision. You need to add the weight of all these extra laws that we've created. Because only then God is really going to be pleased with you. And Paul was like, what? No, 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 no. Paul was like, no, no, don't listen to that. Don't, don't buy that. Paul said, no, there's only one secret. There's only one secret to getting spiritually yoked. And this is what Paul says. Colossians 1.27, he says, For God wanted them to know that the riches and the glory of Christ are for you Gentiles, meaning everybody who is not Jewish, you and I, unless you're Jewish. And this is the secret. Paul said, this is the hack. Are you ready for it? Christ lives in you. This gives you assurance of sharing his glory. And I'm going to unpack this on the journey as we go. But Paul said, this is the only way that you're going to get yoked. Christ in you, the hope of glory. It's not about Christ putting a weight on you. It's about realizing that he's in you and has lifted a weight from you, a weight that you could never bear on your own. And so this just wasn't, like I said, in Paul's day, false teaching. It's not just in our day, but even Jesus, 
as he was walking the earth, he was dealing with this stuff. Matthew chapter 11, very famous passage. As soon as I put it on the board, if you're a Christian, you can't tune out because you probably quote it and you know it, but I think I'm taking it in a little bit different of a direction than maybe you've experienced before. Just lean in. Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 and 29. Jesus said, come to me. All of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. And what will happen? You will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, Jesus is extending an invitation to let go of some weight. Now, it's really hard for us to understand his context here because here in kind of our little city life, you know, the agriculture or ag, there's another ag name for it. But when you're dealing with like farmland, many of us may not be familiar with that. So let me give you a little context of the audience. Context in the scripture is king. Whenever you're looking at the scripture, you want to ask, man, who is the, who's writing? Who is the audience? Like, what is the setting? So let me give you a little bit of background. So Jesus is speaking to first century Jews that grew up in a very unhealthy religious system, meaning the, the, the reality of what the law was designed for, of showing our need for God and revealing our sin, it, it became something else. And so you got to picture this religious system was so strict, it was so rigid that it was impossible to bear. And the religious leaders, in an attempt to uphold the law, they went to the extreme. And so they started to drift from the very heart of God, trying to make the law relevant to current times. And so, so they, they just took everything to an extreme. They were trying to make the Old Testament relevant to real life situations. Can I just tell you, anytime you try to make the scripture relevant, that moves you away from its original intent, that is dangerous. And so there, there were massive obligations on the people. There was this burden, sense of oppression, and there was really kind of this disconnect to God. It felt like a bunch of rules with no relationship, with no connection. That's why when Jesus showed up on the scene and he said, no, this is how you pray, our father. That was radical to first century Jews because they're like, our father? You mean I, we can call him father? Because we see in this culture there was such a distance and separation between God and the people, which we'll talk about in just a minute. And so the, the religious system became more about the religious leaders than it did God. It became more about their system than truth. They added over 600 laws to the Old Testament, laws that God never told them to add. And they just kept adding. And so the people were already struggling. See, the law of God is good. The law is not bad. But what the law does is it... It's, it's used like a mirror. It's, it's, it's the standard of God. And what the law shows and reflects is that you and I can't uphold it. It's a reminder that we are in need of a savior. The Bible says in Romans chapter three, for all have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. I stand on this platform as a man that falls short of God's glory. Like none of us can stand before God and be like, hey God, I'm killing it every day. You deserve to let me in. But sometimes we live like that, don't we? And so the law was just simply there. It was good. It was perfect. It's great. But it also revealed that we could not measure up, and hence we need a Savior. That's why anytime we try to earn our way to God, it's to nullify the cross. If we could earn our way, there'd be no need for the cross. If we could earn our way to God, there'd be no need for Jesus to come and die. 
But the reason why he came and died is because he did for us what we could never do for ourselves. You tracking with me? Like, I want you to know your Bible. Are you with me? Okay, and so the religious system, it was, it was heavy. There was a constant heaviness, a constant reminder of we don't measure up, a constant sense of being overwhelmed, a reminder every single day of our shortcomings and our inadequacy. It was a tough season. So much so that Jesus said like this in Matthew 23, he said, so you must be careful to do everything they tell you, but do not do what they do, speaking of the religious leaders, for they do not practice what they preach. They crush people with their unbearable religious demands and never lift a finger to ease the burden. Now, Jesus is affirming the law. The law is good. You should listen to them when they teach that. But all these extra things, number one, they're not even living up to the law themselves. And all these extra things that they're preaching, they're still not living. So Jesus is like, there's, there's a discrepancy between what they're preaching and what they're living. And the people were wore out. It, it just felt like we can never get ahead. Like, we're trying to keep up with this law. Oh, you just added another one. And it's just like, we're exhausted. This is impossible. They were on what we like to call the treadmill of religion. They were under the yoke of the Torah, which was the first five books of the Bible. And all the extra laws that the Pharisees added, not to mention, remember the relational connection. There was distance and separation marked the Old Testament in people's relationship with God. For example, God is holy, ladies and gentlemen. In Exodus, God told Moses, you can't come near me, bro, you're going to die. Because I'm holy. Like, you just, you just can't come in like, hey, you'll die. In Numbers, if you were, in the book of Numbers, if you were, you know, you broke the law, or you were living in sin, they would have you outside of the camp for a season. In Leviticus, the only person that could go into the tabernacle, into the inner court, into the presence of God was the priest to make atonement on behalf of the people. And if he was not right, they'd pull him out. They used to tie like some bells around his ankle so that when he would go in, they know if the bell stopped ringing, that brother is in sin and they'd pull him out dead. And so, so I want you to get this picture. You're like, oh my goodness, like that's really intense. Well, it, it is. That's why sometimes we forget about who God is. There's none like him. He is holy. And that's the beautiful reality in Christ because when Jesus died on the cross, the veil was torn. So now it's not just the priest that can enter in. Now, because of the blood, we can come boldly now where before you couldn't come like that. But because of Christ in us now, we can come boldly to the throne of grace. We can come right into the presence of God. There's no more distance. There's no more separation. And Jesus was coming to let the people know that the game has changed. That's good news. If you know what it means, that's good news. If you don't know, lean in. And so, so anytime you have like a works-based mentality trying to get to God, you, you never know what's enough. Like how, how many church services do I need to go to? How much money do I need to give? How much do I need to serve? Whew. Exhausted. And then all the extra laws, there was no life. There was no satisfaction. There was no sense of delight in God. When Jesus showed up, it was religiously dead. And there was just weight, a weight that nobody could live up to, not even the religious leaders themselves. And Jesus speaks right into the heart of this moment. And he says these beautiful words, come to me, come to me. So that's the backdrop. Jesus is not just speaking like, hey, if you're like struggling a little bit, he's like, I know it's heavy. I know you're tired. Come to me. Not tomorrow, today. 
like I'm commanding you to come. Come to me. Not when we have it all together. Now, leave your laborious, self-reliant life. Leave your sins and come and rest. Leave your ways and come experience me. Jesus is saying, dude, it's good. And it's a gift to be received. It's not something you can earn. He didn't say, do this before you come. He just says, no, 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 come. Who can come? He said, all and everyone. Everyone come to me. All come to me who are burdened and weighed down. And I love that he doesn't give the burden a name because I think Jesus knew and knows that our burdens all look a little bit different. For some of us, it's been the burden of religion. For some of us, it's been the burden of sin, affliction. Some of us, it's been the burden of health and anxiety. Some of us, it's been the burden and the weight of performance. You're just on this treadmill trying and trying to figure it out and trying to be enough to everything and everyone. And Jesus is like, come. And, and I want you to, to let those words resonate because this is a reality. I don't care if you've been a Christian for a long time. We never get beyond coming to him. Like, we all need this. Some of us need to experience Christ for the very first time for real. Like, you could be in church but not saved. You can be in church but not really walking with God. I've seen that. I've been doing this a long time. And some of you need to come and experience the redemptive life that's found in Jesus, that the emptiness that you feel, that you feel in your soul right now can actually be redeemed and you could experience this rest that's found in a new life in Christ. You can get off the treadmill. And some of us need to re-experience this reality of coming to Jesus. Some of us need to re-experience the fact that, yeah, we know him as Lord and Savior, but we're, we're, we're burnt in some areas. We've, we've let some weights. We've picked up some baggage along the way. And Jesus is saying, come. Ladies and gentlemen, this will be the pattern of our life for the rest of our life. We come we learn, and we rest. And, and every time you carry the weight that you can't handle or you're not supposed to bear, it not only hurts you, but it affects other people. Can I just tell you, when you get some of their weight, your marriage is going to feel a whole lot lighter. Your relationships are good. The dynamic is going to change. Why? Because you're changing. Right? The, the, the way that you interact with God and people, the way that you see your career and your life, like all of that begins to change. You say, well, what does it look like? It looks like this to take his yoke. Now, a yoke could be singular, but most, li- most of the time, if you want a good plow, you have two ox that are yoked together. One neck here, one neck there. Now, what happens is this, is normally there's a stronger ox and a weaker ox. The stronger is more powerful. The stronger knows the master's voice better, the, whoever is owning or leading them, right? The 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 yoke is, the stronger one is, is, is kind of teaching and training the weaker one, showing them the rope, showing them the ways, strengthening that weaker vessel so that they together can accomplish much. And so it's this beautiful picture, but it's kind of confusing. Because I think if you were burdened, heavy laden, struggling with weight, Jesus would say, hey, Come to me, I'm going to take every yoke off you. Because the yoke is a tool for work. A lot of times we don't equate work and rest. Normally we would love to say, hey, I don't need a yoke, Jesus. I need a vacation. 
I don't want to take your yoke. I want you to take off every yoke and give me a vacation. Like, that's what I need to rest. Take it off. I want to be free. And Jesus is like, yeah, I know something that you don't. So it seems a little weird. Why would you give us a tool to work and equate that with rest? Because what Jesus understands is this, is that life is an unending series of burdens. Pressure. And there is no way around the weight of that responsibility in this life on this side of the resurrection. There's just not. So like if he removed everything, it may work for a day or two, but then guess what? Life happens again. We live in a broken and a fractured world. Jesus said, in this world, you're gonna have trouble. So then what in the world is Jesus offering? Well, he's not offering an escape from reality. He's not offering an escape from pressures. He's not offering an escape from responsibility. He's offering a new way to carry all of that stuff. He's not, he's not giving us an escape from life. He's giving us a new way to carry life. And it's with his yoke. So he's like, listen, if you can yoke yourself to me, you're going to experience pressure, burden, the weight of life, but you're going to do it with my strength, with my wisdom, with my joy, with my power, and I'm going to cause you to live in a way that you can never live on your own. Christ in you is the secret, the hope of glory. Because the reality is, again, the law is not bad. Jesus didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. So he's like, but you can't live the law by yourself. But with my spirit on the inside of you, you're going to desire to do the very things that I've called you to. The law is not bad. We're just unable to live out the reality of that law in and of ourselves. And Jesus says, man, I'm going to cause you to live in a way that you could not live on your own. Because Jesus did not abolish the law. Jesus perfected it. Jesus fulfilled it. And that's why we come to God only based on his work and not our work. We're not saved and can never be saved by our works. And no matter how many times I say that in church and how many times I will say it, it's still hard for that to sink in because many times we will come to Jesus and we're like, yes, save me. I need you to save me. And then this moment, man, we accept Christ as our Lord and Savior. We jump right back into saying, okay, now let me try really, really hard to earn your approval, to show that, you know, I got this. And he's like, man, I want to empower you to live in a completely different way. The, the early father, church father, Augustus, he said it like this. He said, even a bird has the weight of feathers but it's that very weight that causes him to soar, dodge predators and enemies. So the bird's not like, oh man, so much weight. No, it's it's a weight that propels, right? A sailboat has the weight of the mast and the sail, but it's what what breathes life. It's what allows it to move and to, to go and to flourish, a sailboat without a sail. I was talking to a friend of mine. He was in Mexico. He's like, dude, the sailboat sail. I'm watching off my balcony. Stop working. He's like, a couple hours later, it was just on the beach getting hit with the rocks. Boom. Because the weight of that sail caused you to go. Jesus is saying this. My yoke is going to give you wind and not weight. It's different. It's a different tool. I'm not going to give you an escape from life. I'm going to help you live life differently. I'm not going to give you an escape from responsibility and pressure. I'm going to show you and I'm going to resource you on how to deal with it. 
And so his yoke is not a burden, it's not weight, it's wind. And so this is the beautiful reality is that with Jesus, rest does not, rest is not a means to an end by itself because Christ is our ultimate rest. Meaning this, we need rest. Like I talked about having some Sabbath rhythms in our life in the beginning of this series. We need to have some times that we set apart for God and we kind of unplug and and we allow God to, to refresh us and fill our tanks. But even those times of rest are to do what? Point us to the ultimate rest. Point us to him. That Jesus is our ultimate Sabbath. He is the point of all of this. So let me give you a little illustration. So my nephew and I, we used to do Muay Thai back in the day. And he took it to like next level. Like he fought in Thailand, did all that stuff. I was just trying to stay in shape. Didn't last long. Um, but I remember one day we showed up, we showed up to, to the gym here in Dublin and they said, hey, we're, we're not going to kick bags and stuff today. We're actually going to go to Saramona. We're going to do some hill sprints. Now I told the story before, but I'm going to tell it again because it works. But I don't like to run. I really don't. Especially uphill over and over and over again. Hill sprints, you run up and then you run down, run up and you run down. And so but like halfway through our time, my mind is just gone. I'm not even thinking anymore. You know when you're running so much and you just, you're just, everything's mechanics. You're just like, I'm checked out. I'm not feeling good. And then I just start puking everywhere. Like baptize that hill, like crap. And then the coach, the coach said, hey, listen, if, if you guys don't finish by this time, there's one person that doesn't finish by this time. You guys are doing it all over again. So nobody wants to be that person. So you're pushing even extra harder. Just and people are looking at me like, are you okay? I'm fine. It's good, good, good. And then finally, two people had to carry me down the hill, like a girl and a guy, like walk me down the hill. Everybody's clapping. I'm like, this is not a moment of joy for me. But the whole point was to finish on time. I almost missed the point. I almost missed the whole point. And so many times we're, we're trying to earn God's approval apart from Christ, and you miss the point. It, it, it doesn't work. It's called legalism. And legalism is trying to earn the grace, forgiveness, and pleasure of God with your personal performance. And let me tell you how this creeps in, because if you've been a Christian for a while, you know this. You know the answer to this. But how you live your life, when you wake up on the mornings that you, it's, ter- it's a terrible morning. Yelled at your kids, maybe spanked them frustrated, didn't read, didn't pray, no worship on the way to work. A lot of times that day, we're not expecting God to do anything with our life. We're not expecting anything from God. God's not going to bless me today. God's not going to use me. Why do we think like that? And then the days that we're crushing it, man, I read my Bible, blessed my kids, prayed, worshiped, walking around like a spiritual giant, expecting the heavens to move. Why? Because we killed it that day. Do you know that God wants to use you just as much on your bad day and do something in your life on your bad day as your good day? So that's how it creeps in. Like, let me give you another example. When you sin, why do you need to get right with God? What motivates you? Like you just blew it. You just sinned. Why do you want to get right with God? Well, if it's because, man, I don't, he won't bless me or I don't, I don't want to get punished. I don't, you missed the point. See, the gospel says this. The gospel says, no, no, no. I, I want to get right with God because I, I love you. 
because I feel the chasm between us. I don't want that disconnect. I want to be with you. And it's those little questions that can help you understand, are you living, living through a moralistic performance grid or through the lens of the gospel? And it's so subtle. But the reality is this. We, we looked at this in our last series. If you love me, Jesus said, you'll keep my commandments. And, and this is a beautiful picture because Jesus is saying, if you love me, you'll keep them. No, he's saying, no, if you really love me, that's what's going to flow. The outflow of your love will be obedience. If you're trying to be obedient because it's about your blessing and you're trying to be obedient because you just try not to get in trouble, you're missing the point. It's still about you. You're missing the whole point. John chapter 14, verse 15 makes it even more clear. He says this, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Are you ready for this? And my commands will not be a burden. It's going to feel like wind. It's going to feel like a sail. It's going to feel like feathers. It's not a burden. Why? Because our obedience is, comes from an outflow of our love for God. That's why you have to guard your heart. Make sure that your heart is loving him. Make sure you're yoked to him because then our heart starts doing weird stuff. Are you guys tracking with me on this? So, so the, the question is, is how does this work on Monday? Let me give you one more story and then I'll, I'll switch gears. Charles Spurgeon, he tells a great story about a farmer and a nobleman. So they're in this kingdom and in this kingdom, there's a king and there's a farmer. The farmer just loves the king. Just thinks the king is the best guy on the planet. So grateful for the king. Uh, just loves the king. So he says, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to grow the biggest carrot I've ever grown and will ever grow. And I'm going to give it to the king as a gift, token of my love and my gratitude. So the gardener comes to the king and says, your liege, present to you, I think that's what it says, your liege, something like that. I present to you the big, best carrot I've ever grown and will ever grow. And I just want to say, thank you. You're an awesome king. I love you. Here you go. And he walks away. And the king says, excuse me, he says, hey, you're, you're that gardener that owns a field next to mine. He's like, yeah. He says, why don't, you, why don't you take my field too? I don't do anything with that anyways. You take my field. You work it, do your thing. Thank you. Wow. Thank you so much. So there's a nobleman standing at court and he raises champion horses. And so he's like, dude, if he got a field for a carrot, how much can I get for a horse? So he goes to the king and does the same thing. Your liege, oh, I just love you, king. You're the best king on the planet. This is the best horse I've ever raised, will ever raise. My champion prize winning horse and I give it to you. Often of my token and my gratitude. Then he waits. And the king's like, what are you, what are you waiting for? Just looking like, what am I going to get? And the king's like, oh, let me explain. The gardener was giving me the carrot, but you were giving yourself the horse. Big difference. Some of you guys are like, you'll get in the car. Just think about it. You'll get in the car. But man, your motivation can get really weird. And you can try to serve in a means to get opposed to just saying, no, no, I'm serving you out of an overflow of my love for you, my gratitude for you. Matthew chapter 11, verse 25 and 26, Jesus said it this way. He gives us a secret on how this works on Monday. Because if you're looking like, man, this is great, but how does it work on Monday? At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and the learned to the arrogant. Oh, you're beyond this message. Too clever. You got to figure it out. You got life all tied in about you. Jesus like, yeah, it's hidden from those guys. But it's revealed to little children. He's, he says this right before he says, come to me. 
He says, the wise and the learned, those that think they're good and righteous, they think their performance is good. Like, it's going to be a rude awakening for them one day. They're not going to catch this. But he, but he points us to the children again. He says, he's revealed them to the little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. So I asked myself, how would a kid come to Jesus? First one is this. Kids come unashamed of their need. They're unapologetic. I am helpless and I need some stuff. There's some stuff that I can't just do on my own. Dad, I need some shoes. I need, definitely need Taco Bell. So some stuff that I need. Kids just have no shame. There's no, there's no sense of, oh man, like if I show that I need something, then maybe my dad's not going to think well of me or maybe people are going to misjudge me and think that I'm really not responsible, but I, they just don't care about that stuff. They're like, hey, got some needs. And they come. When they're in pain, they come. When there's pressure, they come. When they're tired, hold me, hold me. Like, dude, we just started walking. We literally, we're like five steps in, tired. Kick it on your shoulders. No, you can't. Walk some more. I'm just kidding. I'm a terrible dad. Don't take notes from me. <laughs> Try to build strong ladies. Um, but they're just, they're, they're just unapologetic. So we went ice skating this week and um, always loved like ice skating with my girls. But this time, like Hannah was kind of with her friend. My daughter Olivia was with her friend and Abby was glued to me. Abby was like, like yoked to me the whole time for two reasons. Number one, love spending time with her dad, of course. But she knows with dad, she's going to go further faster. Meaning she can skate good. But with dad, I fling her, right? She comes, holds hands and I can launch her and she goes, shh. She just knows that, man, if I'm going to hang out with you, I'm going to grab your hand the whole time because I want to go further faster. Like, like there's just a sense of I know that you have an ability that I don't. You're able to move me in a way that I cannot move myself. And so I want to hold your hand the whole time. Like, it's awesome, right? Motivation might be a little off from my last story, but hey, who cares? And so, so whether it's sin or pressure or pain, Jesus is saying, just come. Like, I got what you need. If it's sin, there's grace. There's forgiveness. Like, let me show you a better way. Like, come learn from me. And then sometimes it's like I, I can do life, but it's so much better with God. Like, the whole time I'm chasing my daughter around, like, we're just having the time of our life. So, like, you can do life on your own, but it's like you're going to get so much further faster with him than you would on your own. I mean, you can go through life, you can do it, or you can take him by the hand and be like, let's go, what are we doing? And the thing that I love about my kids is they're unapologetic with their luggage. Like we just went to Tahoe, and their luggage is getting bigger because they're getting older, and it's just like, here you go, Dad. Boom, boom. Just dropping luggage everywhere. And there's just a confidence there that, listen, listen, I need you to put this in the truck, it's too big. And then they get in the car and they don't even care where we're, like they know where we're going, but they don't care how we get there. They're, they're enjoying the journey, looking out the window, coloring. And what they're saying is this, like, hey, I, I trust you. You always take us and get us to the destination. They're yoked to us all the time. Like my kid, like we are, <laughs> we're doing this for a long time together. And can I just tell you, I, as their father, I can handle their luggage. It's a piece of cake. I can handle the baggage. 
and they can enjoy the journey because I'm in the driver's seat. Like, what would life look like if you came to Jesus like that? No shame in your game. Leave the pride at the window. I know that you don't think you're dysfunctional, but everybody else sees it. They're just not telling you. This is true. I'm not trying to be like mean. I'm just saying everybody knows except you. And you think like, oh, I'm good. The emperor with no clothes. It's like, no, everybody sees. The second thing is kids come curious, don't they? They're curious. When we're, we're traveling, hey, are we there yet? Just started. But curious just means an eager to learn, to gain knowledge. They ask a ton of questions. Sometimes, like, especially when they're young, it, it's, it's different when they're adolescents. Jesus is talking about children, right? Adolescents, they hit a little different of a, of a pace. But they ask a ton of questions. Dad, so tell me about this, Dad. What about, hey, Dad? Oh, my goodness. Dad, Dad, Dad. And there's no pride. They don't think they know it all. They're like, I want to learn. I want to grow. Teach me. Show me how to do this. It was so funny. Like I said, adolescence, things kind of changed a little bit. My oldest, I asked permission if I could tell the story, but it was, it was super funny. Yesterday we went on a hike and on our hikes, I don't know why we're talking about this. We're talking about my dog being neutered. And, and she's like, I think, I think he's too old. I'm like, no, he's not too old. She's like, oh yes, he is. She's like, my friend, she lives on a farm. She says, he's too old. I'm like, you think your friend knows better than me? I'm like, I don't care if she grew up on a farm. Being in McDonald's doesn't make you a Big Mac. I've done my homework. It's good. So we have fun with it. Stuff we talk about on hikes, neutering dogs. That's, that's our trail conversation. And, uh, but there's just this curious to, curiosity to know and discover. Uh, in this ancient culture, rabbis, students would be linked to them. They would be yoked to their rabbi. They would live with their rabbi. They would listen to them. They would watch the ways that they interact with people and they would Im try to imitate their every single move. And there was a guy by the name of Ray Vonderland. He said, the greatest praise of a disciple and his rabbi is that the disciple is covered with the dust of the rabbi. Because, because it means that you were so close that you heard everything that he said. You, you, you picked up on everything that he did. And if he stepped in a puddle, it splashed on you. It was just, just to be dusty was like the greatest sign of like, you're, you get it, you're yoked. And so, oh, don't change my slide. Don't be changing my slide, man. Um, it's like, man, you're like, you're, did it go back? Oh, what happened? Yeah, there we go. Um, and, and so, sorry, I lost my train of thought. Where was I going with this? Dusty. And so they, they would know everything that, the master knows and they'd want to do and live everything the master lives like they know his priorities i thought what if my kids did that with me it's like really really good and also really really scary right because they're there's watching they're learning they're soaking in everything you move everything you say every, i want to do i want to imitate i want to be a part of a, a student knew that they were abandoning their life to the rabbi. They were yoked. When's the last time you were curious with Jesus? Like, when's the last time you just came curious? Like, God, how does this work? 
how do I live this way? How do I parent? How do I see this? How do you see it? Like, I'm just, just, you're just eager to know. Have you lost your curiosity? Come back. Come to me. Last one is this. Kids come expectant. Like, they come expecting to find. They come expecting because they know they're loved. Like, they could be bad all day. My kids are never bad all day, but you know what I'm saying. And they still think they're getting ice cream at night. They just come expecting. Like, we just had this whole thing. Or we could just have in and out a milkshake, and you still want a popsicle. You just had a milkshake. You want soda, and you just had a soda. They just expect. They just, and they know they can work dad. They're just expecting because they, they just, they're so confident in the love that we have for them. It doesn't even, they're not even afraid to ask. Even if we say no, they're like, we're still going for it. We're still expecting it. And so many of us, can, we can acknowledge that we're dysfunctional. We can acknowledge that we're horrible. We can acknowledge that we're sinful, but we have such a hard time receiving from God. We have such a hard time receiving his love for us. So some of us, Right now, you're in a place where it's hard to forgive yourself because even though God has forgiven you, even though God has forgiven you, you don't understand his love. So even though God has forgiven you a long time ago, you're still in regret. You're still living in sorrow. You're still living in guilt and restlessness. And you've lost your expectation. Your love for God will create a different expectation. When you know God loves you, that will create a totally different expectation in your life. Like when you show up, you're expecting to find rest. When you show up, you're expecting to find. And many times we have a hard time with God because we have a picture of him. God is holy. God is separate. He's all-powerful, omniscient, omnipresent. He is all-knowing, all-powerful, all places at all time. He is huge, but he's also gentle and humble. And he's like, I want you to learn from me. Like if you come, I'm not going to be like, are you serious? What? Oh, he's gentle. I'm a humble in heart. Learn my unforced rhythms of grace. Like, let me show you. The cross screams you're valuable. You see, what Paul was saying all the way in the beginning was this. Christ in you, the hope of glory. That word glory, you want to know what it means? It's the word kabod. It means weight. Interesting. So what Paul is saying is this. Paul is saying, hey, listen, with Christ in you, there is a weight that overwhelms every other weight. There is a hope that overwhelms hopelessness. There is a joy that overwhelms dysfunction and despair. There is, there is a weight that comes with him where everything else has to move. There's a weight on the inside of us in Christ, his weight, his power, his weight of love, his way weight of grace, his weight of justice, his weight of knowledge, his weight of strength, his sovereignty. It's heavy. He says all those other things that try to burden you, my weight, my glory, pushes all of them aside. I'm, I'm heavier. I'm bigger. So Paul is saying, listen, you try to lift, you try to lift by yourself. Paul's like, that's not the hack. It's Christ in you. That's the beautiful reality. That's where life comes from. That's where the game changes. That's where your outflow will totally change. 
How do you best guard your heart? Stay out. Stay out. Will you stand to your feet? Let me pray for you. Father, in Jesus' name, Lord, we thank you so much for your love for us, for your grace towards us. I don't know if that's a word for somebody today, but I, I'm encouraged myself knowing that his weight is greater than every other weight. Like the same spirit that rose Jesus from the dead as a follower of Christ lives in you. Like, come on, it does not get any better than that. Like I said in the beginning, you're never gonna get away from this, ladies and gentlemen. The beautiful rhythm of life, come, learn, rest. Come, learn, rest. Come to me, learn from me, rest in me. Oh, that's like a drink of water. Some of you today, you need to come. You're in just a season that you just need to come. Some of you right now, it's like you've come, but it's time to learn. It's time to get them a little bit more curious. It's time to lean in a little bit more. Some of you guys come learn, but now you need to rest. You need to trust them. Let them drive. Bring the baggage. Let them deal with it. And let them drive. Thank you again for tuning in to the Fountain Podcast where our heart is to lead people to see Jesus clearly, love him deeply, and follow him wholeheartedly. You can also find more content by following us on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and by downloading our app.